Today's episode is part of our Protective Intelligence Honors Program, a program we developed at the Center for Protective Intelligence to celebrate the top pioneers and thought leaders in physical security. Each month, we will be recognizing groundbreaking professionals who have driven new shifts and novel practices, development of innovative solutions, and are contributing to influencing and advancing the physical security and protection industry. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, and I'm excited to host this special episode as part of our Protective Intelligence Honors Program, a program we developed at the Center for Protective Intelligence to celebrate the top pioneers and thought leaders in physical security. We are recognizing professionals who have driven new shifts and novel practices and are contributing to influencing and advancing the physical security and protection industry. Today, I am speaking with one of our honorees, Kristen Leonardson, Vice President, Managed Risk Services at Crisis 24, to discuss her views on leadership, changes in the physical security space, and more. For her complete bio, please visit our website at protectiveintelligencehonors.com. That's protectiveintelligencehonors.com. Kristen, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is a huge honor, actually. So thank you again for having me, and thank you for even recognizing me. Oh, you're way too kind. Kristen, how did you get into the security industry? Oh, gosh, this is a, you know, overnight success. Um, I was 10 years <laughs> with the FBI, of course, um, and then I've been in the private sector for another 12 years. So I've, I've started as an intelligence analyst. I've been an intelligence analyst in some capacity or another throughout the, my 22-year career here. Um, so started there, went to a small, um, actually a very large um, health insurance company right out of the FBI and started the Intel program there and then got into a lot of different parts of the organization, um, including executive protection and GSOCs and facility risk assessments and all those other wonderful fun things when you have a very small team with a lot of work. Oh, how well I know that. Now, what's been your experience in building out protective intelligence programs and mentoring others? Like, what are some of the lessons you've learned from doing that? Um, I think a lot of it is that it's still, well, obviously, the Secret Service has been doing it for a very, very long time. And to an extent, EP practitioners, the agents, the officers on the ground, the folks that are on the field are doing it. There's a different kind of scope around the way that Intel analysts look at all of these um, issues also. So we tend to look at it more from a strategic forecasting view, whereas a lot of the EP practitioners take a look at it more from obviously an operational view. Um, what do we need to do to get this job done? What does this event look like? Along those lines. Um, so I think what I've learned over the years is, is trying to obviously marry those two things up, um, marry up kind of the forecasting with the tactical understanding, because I was also, I've also been a, um, an EP agent. Um, so I understand kind of both sides of the house. And when you're doing both jobs, there's different things that you need to know at different times. And it's really making sure both step, both sides understand where the other side is coming from, um, why the analysts want you to know all these things. But when you're on the ground doing the job with the boss, you don't have time to know 20 pages worth of work. I just need to know what are the next seven things I need to get through the next 12 hours. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that both sides can take from each other 
that just because they are used to working in different pieces of protection, um, sometimes you have to kind of marry those two things up. And I think that's where I've seen a lot of the growth in this industry is is a lot of the protective intel analysts being able to work with the agents and the agents really understanding the value of protective intelligence programs. So that being said, um, I right now I'm the chair of the Protective Intel Council for AREP, which is the Association of International Risk Intelligence Professionals. Um, and then I also manage the Executive Protection Committee for ASIS. We have a mentoring program. So I manage the mentoring program for that too. And I've got some fantastic guys on my group. And what we do is we try to help young practitioners and also transitioning practitioners into the EP field and help them understand kind of what that looks like um, as they're as they're coming out of one job and moving into another. That's wonderful. Kristen, what's the biggest change you've seen in the security space during your career? Definitely the growth of the intelligence field. Um, like I said, I started as an FBI intelligence analyst and got out of the FBI after 10 years. Um, met some analysts in the field. And I think when I first started, there was maybe a couple hundred of us, maybe a thousand. Um, and now with groups like Arab and with the value that corporations and that NGOs and that um, you know high net worth families and everyone is seeing with Intel, this has really grown. Um, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of analysts all over the world now. Um, on my team alone, I've got 73 analysts on my team. Um, and that is that's just one organization. Um, I know that they've got huge organizations all over the world. And, and I think that's one of the coolest things and one of the biggest changes that I've seen is really having corporations and having um, these, these organizations understand the value of intelligence and why they need it. And then obviously the professionalization and the promotion of that field also. How has failure set you up for a later success? Or do you have a favorite failure of yours? Um, I think all my failures are my least favorite. I don't think <laughs> I have a favorite failure. Um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot through making mistakes in my career. I, years and years ago, I was terrible at delegating work and I always thought I had to do everything myself and I didn't want to work on a team and I didn't want to manage a team. I, I just thought, you know, I, I was young and arrogant and um, I thought I can do this all myself and I can do it faster and I can do all these things. And then when you start managing people, then you, it's not only managing the projects, but it's also managing the personalities and it's managing, you know, the expectations and everything around it. And so, you know, I did some um, volunteer management and, and that kind of helped me get to where I am today. But if you would have asked me years ago, if I ever would have wanted to do this, I probably wouldn't have wanted to. And um, I remember trying to work on this work with this group and I was kind of managing this project for the FBI. And, you know, I'm, I'm of course pretty straight laced and wanted to get things done. And we had a team come in to help us, um, from inventor division and, and they were fantastic people and, and we really needed the help. And I really do appreciate them, you know, in hindsight when they were there, you know, it was kind of a vacation for them where they came in and did their work, but then they wanted to go out and, and have fun and I was a little bit more of a mom about it. And I'm like, no, we got to get this work done. We're on a timeline. Um, and they pretty much complained that I was a bit of a tyrant. Um, but they, they didn't use those nice of words. Um, so I think what I learned from that, especially in my managing going forward, is it, you can have fun and you can get the job done. And you also have to look at and understand what the people around you, what motivates them to get the job done. And so I think I came at it from a very professional 
you know, we have to finish this in a, a lot of time frame. And I should have looked at it from these folks are here just helping out. And how can I make this a better environment for them? So that's one of the things moving forward is I always try to look at, you know, obviously we have to do things every day that we don't want to always do, um, you know, administrative little things here and there, emails, timesheets, all those fun things. But how can we make it just part of the day, make it more enjoyable and get through it together, um, especially with having a, a large team like I do? Yeah, it's very good advice. Let's switch gears now, Kristen. What is your everyday carry? Uh, so my EDC, I have an Emerson um, CQC7 in matte black. Um, I also have my Ray-Ban aviators because I wear contacts. So I always have my aviators and eye drops. Um, masks, of course. I always have my mask with me. Um, usually, obviously, my phone... Um, you know, that, all those wonderful, fun things. And then I have terrible allergies. So I always have allergy medication with me. It's actually pretty embarrassing. Um, but yeah, my allergies can act up at any minute. So I always have to kind of carry some allergy medication with me. Well, that Emerson knife is uh, awesome. Yes, that is my, my go-to. Um, I have carried for work before, which is a, a Glock 19. Um, but I don't carry it usually around the Virginia, Washington area because I will get arrested. <laughs> what motto do you live by? Um, mine is alt vinam in vinam alt fasciam. Um, it is a quote from Hannibal Barca, who was an ancient Carthage general um, during the Second Punic Wars. And it says, if I can't find a way, I'll make one. And he was very famous for taking his troops over the back of the Alps with a herd of pachyderms and several hundred soldiers in the winter and marching down into Rome and everyone thought he was completely crazy and it was never going to make it. And so he pretty much said, if I can't find a way, I'll make one, which is how I live my life and do my work from day to day. Yeah, that's very good advice. Kristen, is there anything I haven't asked you that you would like to share with our audience? Um, no, I just, I really appreciate um, being on the show. I appreciate the honor of, of being recognized. Um, and I think I would want to know, what is your EDC? I don't think, has anyone asked you that before? Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot. I am. <laughs> well, depending on the day, remember I'm in the, here in the great state of Texas, but okay. uh, firearms wise, it would be a Smith & Wesson five shot. I'm an old school, old guy or a six hour three, six, five that uh, my good friend, Jack Carr, strongly encouraged me to carry. And uh, I picked one up and I love it. Uh, right now in my pocket, I have a Benchmade knife today. For some reason, I stuck this one in my pocket. And then I also have in my briefcase here right next to me, I have a smoke hood and a stop the bleed kit and a EpiPen a Montblanc pen and a moleskin notebook that I use to jot down notes or ideas for when I'm working on a book. So that's my everyday carry. Ah, fantastic. There you go. Well, Christian, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And we really appreciate you sharing your insights on leadership with our audience. Well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate this honor.
This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.ai slash center. Again, that's ontic.ai slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.